0: Uh, very special event here at Sunset Gita with our uh, guest Bhakti Chiru Swami. Uh, would you please join me in welcoming Bhakti Chiru Maharaj to our Sunset Gita program. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this was totally unexpected. It, it was a uh, um, chance uh, visit and uh, we immediately seized on Bhakti True Swami to to be our special guest here. Um, I'll do a more formal introduction after we have an opening kirtan. So if you'd like to lead us in the kirtan mode.
1: Shesha Srinavadhi, Pashyasdhavishtha, Shri La
0: Prabhupada, Kishin, Hare Krishna, thank you. Should we put this down, or we like you to leave it out there? Should we bring it down so you can see Mahara? Brief biography of Bhakti Churu Swami. You have to tell me if it's out of date, but I'll read it. Uh, His Holiness Bhakti Churu Swami was born in Bengal in 1945. That probably has not changed. (laughs) He spent most of his early life in the city of Calcutta. In 1970, he left India to study in Germany. While in Germany, he discovered India's millennial wisdom texts and the richness. Of India's spiritual heritage. In 1975, he returned to India to pursue a spiritual path, and the following year he received Diksha or spiritual initiation from A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada in the Vaishnava lineage. His
1: divine grace.
0: His divine grace, (laughs) A.C. Bhaktivedanta. And soon after, he entered the renounced order of sannyas. In 1996, Bhakti Juru Swami took on the mammoth task of producing a 65-part television series on his guru's life and teachings. The series, <coughs> called Charan, premiered on India television and has been seen in more than 20 countries. Uh, Bhakti Juru Swami developed a major cultural complex in Ujjang, India, which recently opened, it was it? In 2006, he was inaugurated. He travels frequently and is a popular speaker on Indian spiritual paths. So would you please join me once again in welcoming our guest, Bhakti Thiru. The the way we're going to do this, uh, and those of you who have been here for other such interviews um, are familiar with the, the format uh, I get to ask whatever I want because I'm the big guy over here. And then we'll, again, we're just going to open it up very quickly to um, questions and answers. Uh, rather than a formal presentation, this is an opportunity for all of us to um, um, ask about the things that are important to us, what's on our minds, and uh, Bhakti Truswami has very kindly agreed to make himself available to us for, for that purpose. Um, I wanted to start by asking you, you and, dare I say, we are part of an older generation of, now, an older generation of bhakti practitioners. What do you think has been the biggest change that you've seen since you Contacted Srila Prabhupada and the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita going back to the 1970s. In the interim, this is more than 40 40 years approximately or more, what would you say the biggest change has been in in all that time?
1: Well, when we were young, (laughs) the world was very different, (laughs) and especially. America was going through a very, very unique phase. I mean, the way I actually perceive it, you see, after the Second World War, the America actually rose to its height of material prosperity. But the youth of America became disillusioned. They saw that money cannot buy everything. And you are a product of that generation. Like they felt that money cannot buy love. And that's why they, they kind of rejected that culture. And they started to look for something, something that is meaningful to them. And that's how it started the counterculture. The, and, well, they were searching. Although their search was not really proper at that time, but they were searching. And it's during that time, the Srila Prabhupada came to America. And a group of young boys and girls, responded to Srila Prabhupada's call and and a new era started and we got caught up well I mean (laughs) like this is my observation of the American situation but one thing I can say that uh, even in India I was affected by that Mm. like I uh, I read books like uh, on the Road by oh, you Kerouac. read Kerouac's book <laughs> Kerouac. <laughs> Dharma Bums <laughs> oh. <laughs> and uh, anyway <laughs> and of course the music the Beatles, the Bob Dylan John Byers Woodstock festival and and that was I mean, the way I would say that that is the way we were feeling at that time. But then the change came. Mid 60s, it went, I think, say, up to 80s. But then another culture started. Then that generation, I mean, after that, they started to aspire for material prosperity. That rejection of the materialistic culture turned into a rather appreciation for material prosperity and and that's the trend that came in and it prevailed for some time maybe for th- I think generally this kind of things last for about 25 to 30 years yeah that's the cycle and i think now the world is changing again i mean Now they are again searching for. For spiritual. uh, uh, Spiritual counterpart, or the spiritual (coughs) goal of. Like you see, two things are existing side by side: material and spiritual, matter and spirit, body and soul. So sometimes the tendency is towards the matter; sometimes the tendency goes towards the spirit. But in a way, I feel that the tendency now is more towards tending towards the spirit our spiritual aspirations and development.
0: Yeah, that's that's a very um, vivid description, I think, of what we've witnessed, you know, in this lifetime. The cycles of dissatisfaction over the war years and the consumer culture of those Mm -hmm. days Mm -hmm. moving into that searching period of the 60s and and then, growing up <laughs> moving back into the world, perhaps do you, do you think it was because people got tired of the spiritual search, or was it they that they never found what they were looking for so they went back because of def- by default
1: hmm. yeah. you get frustrated with material and then you aspire for spiritual and But, you know, like, a group of individuals get carried away and continue into that direction. (laughs) But some may not and, like, uh, I think if it is, if I'm not wrong, I mean, I hope uh, I'm correct, that from hippie culture it came to eeppie culture, right? To which culture? E-P-Y-E-P-P. Oh, yippee. 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 culture. Right? That, that came and went pretty quick, the hippies. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I mean, what I was actually pointing out that, you know, like, I feel very impressed the way the Western world is taking to yoga vegetarianism, which is actually leading to that spiritual world. Yeah. We're finding that. We're finding that the, 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 the
0: level of questions and discussion and dialogue that's <coughs> taking place these days in yoga studios is so much deeper than it used to be. Uh, it, something happens, you start that practice, and then it stimulates a desire to go deeper into the uh, into the philosophy and into the spiritual knowledge uh, so, I'm curious about something else as well, you do a lot of travel, I mean, you always have, you started by, as a student going to Germany, you know, From the, you, do you find that the, the devotional culture, the philosophy side of yoga practice, is the same uh, from country to country, from culture
1: to culture, are there cultural differences when you travel? Uh. Well, I will say that there are two sides. One is Eastern and the other is Western. The Eastern side is dominated by the Indian,
2: Hmm.
1: you know, Indian uh, approach to it or Indian understanding of it. And the Western world, at least today or nowadays, is being dominated by America. So these are the two predominating factors. The yogas are coming from India, yeah. but the world is accepting it today because America has accepted it. <laughs> <laughs> America is promoting it, <laughs> and uh, and the thing is, uh, the goal is I think the same. In the sense, you know, I'm saying that the American side of it, the American side of acceptance of the yoga or American purpose of Accepting the yoga is rather material, you know, physical well-being, you know, mental peace and tranquility. But you know, as you know that the goal of yoga is not just that. It's much higher than that. The purpose of yoga is to bring you from material to spiritual plane, like the body and the soul. Mm -hmm. Everyone is concerned with his body. physical existence. But this body is alive, the body is conscious because of this presence of the soul. So the spiritual objective is to understand the soul and become situated on that spiritual identity and pursue that goal. So uh, the general tendency of yoga today, I may be wrong, uh, but I mean the way it seems to me mainly, basically, is not really absolutely spiritual, therefore there's a need to remind the practitioners that, you know, the actual goal is not just physical well-being and the mental tranquility, but to, you know, transcend. I mean, not just be physically, feel good, but transcend the physical platform and become situated in a platform where you are not only feeling good, but you're feeling blissful.
0: Hmm. Right. I, I, it's funny about, uh, about feeling good, is that people uh, don't generally uh, talk about how, how little satisfaction there is in it. And that, um, we were discussing this earlier, that uh, you, when you enter into bhakti life, you go deep into the philosophy, and what you find is that the whole notion of tranquility kind of disappears because you're thrust into a, a mood of, of action. Hmm. Of, of moving into the world deeper than before. Right, yeah. um, I, I remember uh, our dear godbrother brother Karandar, from many years ago, uh, was walking with uh, Prabhupada and said to him, uh, why is it that my life before I became a devotee was so peaceful, I had everything together, everything was organized. And I, I had my act together. And ever since becoming a devotee, my life is so chaotic. Uh, Nothing works anymore. And Prabhupada's answer was, well, it's like cleaning your room. When you first start to clean your room, the furniture is out of place and dust is flying everywhere. But you know that by this cleansing, when it's done, it'll be cleaner than it's ever been. So it seems as though things are actually more disturbed and uh there's something about becoming comfortable with that discomfort mm. that seems to come with serious yoga practice and an understanding of bhakti would you Would you agree with that sure, sure. sure. you've put yourself to quite a, a bit of discomfort in your career as a as a bhakti teacher haven't you you you've never taken the easy path
1: uh, yeah well It's because it's something like. I was just, you know, what actually immediately came at the back of my mind is the occupation of a doctor. Uh, Right? The doctor's business is to cure the patients, make the patients feel good, in spite of him taking up all kinds of difficulties to cure them. Like, that is the business of a preacher. His business is to remind (coughs) them, like, the generally the doctors take care of the body, but the religious leaders or spiritual teachers, they take care of the soul. The doctors cures the body, but they cure the disease of the soul. And, it, and in order, just as a doctor is undergoing so much difficulties, but his business is to make everybody feel yeah. healthy and good. So there's some inconvenience. Some inconvenience, yeah. but you know there is some joy when you see that the patients are getting clean, getting cured. There is a delight. Uh, you know,
0: you, you bring to mind uh, a fascinating point when we talk about someone who's inspired in the medical field or as a teacher. Uh, here in New York, we we recently lost a very beloved actor, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, the indications are that it was a, an, as a drug overdose, suicide. And um, I wonder, you you know, you're revered and loved not just as a as a uh, profound scholar and teacher and practitioner, but also as a creative individual <clears throat> yourself. You you're producer of a sixty five part television series. That's that's no small feat. You you uh, does help to design and, and oversee the construction of a beautiful temple in Ujjain. Uh, so you have that artistic side to you as well. And I wonder why it is that so often the those people who have those instincts, those artistic intuitions or insights, their lives seem to be so tragic. I mean, not everyone but so often people who who we'll go deeper inside a vision of the world, whether it be through research, medicine, science, whether it be through theater, acting, performing, music, something happens and there's a tragedy that, that is so often the, the, the companion to that. Why, why, why is that?
1: Well, uh, just as you said, like These are the individuals who go very deep within yourselves, within themselves. And they are they're profound in their thinking. They're elevated intellectually and which is actually a sign of spiritual advancement. Unconsciously, they're spiritual advanced, spiritually advanced. Therefore, material achievements. Do not satisfy them. Just pure material at- achievements, just name, fame, money—you know—does not really make their heart content or satisfied. They aspire for something higher, and when they don't get that, because they are not aware of that side, that that side of achievement, they remain. They become more and more frustrated. Hmm. And as a result of that, at some point, some of them just want to get rid of themselves.
0: Hmm. That's a fascinating insight. Uh, It suggests that uh, if we're going to embark on a path of devotion and yoga, we better take it seriously because a little bit of knowledge can be very dangerous.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The main thing is that we have to know what is the goal of our existence? You see, like, here's the difference between a a subhuman species and a human being. Subhuman species, like animals, reptiles, birds, they never questions about, you know, who they are, what is the goal of their life. But But a man does. And more awake he is, the more conscious he is, the deeper is that search, and that is why, unless and until that is, that direction is given to them, you know, they remain, they remain, you know, they are searching for something. Like you know, when you want something and don't get it, you naturally feel disappointed. You feel frustrated, and in most cases, that's what happens to them. Whereas you will, ne- you will not find. A spiritually enlightened person, a spiritually advanced person, committing suicide. Mm-hmm. Rather, he is, you know, he's extremely tranquil within himself. Like as you are talking about, you know, the the as co- quoting Karandar Prabhu, that you know he is thinking about, you know, like so much hassle, so much, you know, trouble, and you know, so much. Botheration in managing the temple and pushing the movement forward, taking care of the devotees. But in spite of all these that he was going through, there was an inner contentment because he knew that what he was doing is really what he wanted to do. Whereas, just consider him. You know, he may have got his scene organized perfectly. But for how long? (laughs) <laughs> at some point you would have wondered, is that really what I wanted? <laughs> yeah. Is the goal of life just to earn money, have some position, and have some, get some recognition and fame? Mm-hmm. You know, you get tired of it. Like no matter much how much money you have, at some point you feel that, well, this is not what I wanted. And materially that's always the case. Mm-hmm. We want something, but when you get it, we realize, no, this is not what I and we feel that whatever I wanted, I wanted it by mistake. And when I got it, I realized that I didn't get it. I didn't want it.
0: Mm-hmm. There's some kind of a letdown. It's a sort of <laughs> shopper's lament or something right, like that. Yeah. Um, I, I want to ask one other question, then I'm just going to immediately open this up to you all. You're an initiating teacher. You're not just a teacher. You're an initiating guru, a diksha guru. You award... Uh, Diksha, a formal initiation to your students, those who qualify. And that's been a a hot topic around here. Um, The part of the yoga culture that's emerged in America is that people take on a Sanskrit name. It's not the same thing. The awarding of of a spiritual name is a very serious undertaking There were responsibilities on both sides and so on. I wonder whether there is something that you might share with us about your experience as an initiating teacher in terms of, how to say this, and I I want to say this as uh, discreetly and, and respectfully as I possibly can, out of compassion, has it occurred that perhaps you awarded initiation and then decided, you know, this person was not ready? Has there ever been an instance where someone should not have received initiation? What what, is the cri- what are the criteria that need to be respected, and what happens if those criteria are later not met? Hmm.
1: Okay. You see, <clears throat> initiation. Is the process through which we pass the information, the spiritual knowledge, to the to the candidate or to the disciple. It's a it's a process of you know uh, teaching, education, right? Like one who is a student today becomes the teacher tomorrow, and he instructs his, instructs his students. Then in course of time, his students become teachers, and they give, they pass the knowledge on to the next generation. So this is a kind of a line called disciplic succession. The spiritual knowledge that is coming down from the spiritual sky, spiritual world, is transmitted through this through this chain of teacher and student. So that's the basic concept of initiation. Like now in this regard, I can say that say when you want to learn something, what's the first consideration? Enrollment in the institution. So the formal initiation. The, the, the process of initiation is kind of the education, the admission to the university,
2: yeah.
1: right? But just the admission to the university is not good enough. One has to study. Then only he'll be able to master the subject. Now, as you're saying, that the, if the student is not qualified, then what happens? It's something like getting admitted to Oxford or Harvard and not attending the classes. Was the use of it? So the purpose of the initiation is to become eligible and willing to receive the spiritual wisdom, spiritual awareness. Therefore, yeah, this pro- this initiation is not just matter not just a matter of getting a Sanskrit name. It's a matter of committing yourself to a process to achieve something. And that achievement is the spiritual perfection.
0: If, if the knowledge is available mm-hmm. through books, through recordings, through teachings, courses, I mean, we live in a digital age, you can you know, go online to you know, bhaktivedantacollege.org and, and uh, sign up for a Bhagavad Gita course or a Nisapanishad course. What does that initiation do that simply learning the knowledge would not do on its own?
1: Well, as I said, like, initiation is the the prerequisite or the, the, pr- the primary consideration of getting admission to the institution. Like, as you were saying, like, you know, it's the knowledge is available, so why can't we get it from the books or from the internet and so forth? Mm-hmm. The thing is, just like, you know, we can consider that Say the books of medicine are available in the shop. If I buy the books, study the books, can I become can I be identified or recognized as a qualified doctor? No, the books are not enough. Mm -hmm. To reveal the books, we need the teachers. So these are the two things you know must go hand in hand. Like the books must be there and the teachers must be there to reveal the books. Just a teacher without the books is bogus. And the books without teacher is useless. So it's there; they're a complement. Uh, yeah, I they mean, they to go together. We need. I mean, did we learn even the alphabets ourselves from the books? No, you're right. We There's need, always someone who teaches us. We needed them. somebody to teach it to
0: us. Her name was Mrs. Klein. Boy, did I hate her!
2: <laughs> <laughs> so let's
0: open. Let's open the room up to uh, to some questions here. Uh, we'll come to you, Michael, in a minute. Uh, Someone who doesn't have, have a good really question. tricky questions. Uh, next. <laughs> um,
2: maybe it's a tricky question maybe I don't even know how to word this question, but I'll give it a shot. Um, it's piggybacking off of what was said about us as human beings and our uh, desire to learn where we came from and our origins. So what I thought about was um, this discovery, I think that just came out yesterday, of the observation of these primordial uh, microwaves that existed yeah. maybe a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang.
0: It's front page in the Times.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is. And I, I can barely understand this like science myself, but um, what I've understood from you know my very introductory uh, look into Gita and Vedic texts is that there are signals in these ancient texts that we do come from a place of multi-universes and things like that. And I was just wondering if maybe you could comment on some of these ancient texts that might confirm what these new quantum physics is uh, teaching us now. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, you see, you, you may have various observations of certain phenomena, right? But the bottom line of that is that somebody must have done it, somebody must have designed it, somebody must have organized it, right? Like, you know, say for example, I may go to a motor car manufacturing (coughs) factory and see certain machines are making gears. Now just by seeing the machine making the, cutting the gears is not the whole concept, right? The, the entire concept will come when we recognize that, say, behind this factory there's a personality called Mr. Ford who set the whole factory in motion or design. And and as a result of that, not only the gears and, you know, motors are coming out, but the entire car is coming out because of his arrangement. So the point is, you know, I mean, behind everything we can say that we must see that there's a creator. Like, for example, if I ask, did somebody make it? what will be the natural answer? Yes. Yeah. I can't say, I mean, it just dropped from nowhere or there was some primordial soup or there were some uh, waves and that created that, you know. The wave may have been there, the primordial soup may have been there, but who is the person who took the soup and made this? Right? So when you go like that, I mean, can we say, I mean, say this, I mean, we look, at, look around us, everything has, we must accept, that there must have been a maker behind that. Now, when we see the entire creation, then don't we also have to consider that behind that, there is a personality who created that? And when we accept that point, then everything becomes perfectly perfectly organized, perfectly uh, intellectually acceptable, right? So that, that is the Vedic answer. The Vedic answer is that there is a creator who created everything, and his creation has been perfectly described through certain literatures, and those literatures are called the Vedas. Like for example, when a a machine is designed or manufactured, along with that, you get the operation manual, and when you go deeper, then you get the you know, the entire concept, how it came out from certain designs, right, the drawings are there, everything is there. So Vedas are presenting all those informations in a perfect way. And it is up to an intelligent person to just accept that and get the perfect answer to all the questions and the riddles that are troubling human mind today. Like, they may come up with so many concepts, but the question is, who was there trillions of years ago to witness that? I mean, they're simply depending upon the speculation. And, you know, the bro- problem with speculation is that it gives, it tends to lead you to a wrong concept. Like, uh, I mean, there's a, again, <laughs> there is a, uh, there is an example of that, you know. Like as you know, India was under the British rule. Many Britishers were actually staying in India, ruling the country. And so, one Englishman came across a washerman who was washing the clothes. You see, in India what they do, they take the cloth and mix it with soap, and then they hit it on a stone slab. And that's how they generally, the washermen, clean the thing, clean the clothes. So he wrote back to England, saying that these people are so stupid that one day I saw a person who is trying to break a stone with a piece of cloth. (laughs) (laughs) So he saw that he is hitting the stone with the cloth. You see, his perception is that he thought just by seeing, the the immediate perception was that you know he is hitting the cloth, uh, he's hitting the stone with the cloth, and he thought that actually this person is so stupid that he is trying to break the stone by hitting it with the cloth, with a piece of cloth. So the thing is, see, that there is a difference between the immediate perception and the actual reason. So, uh, anyway, that would be my, you know, general consideration. See, the intelligent conclusion is that, yes, creation, it, this world has been created. And the creation came about by the divine arrangement of a personality. Uh, who is endowed with an inconceivable ability and intelligence? You know, so simply the problem can, I mean, this quest can be answered.
0: Yeah. It, it, this, is of course, is another repeating theme here at our Sunset Gita discussions. Everything seems fine, you know, the philosophy, karma, ahimsa, whatever, until you get to that one point start imposing a personal divinity mm. behind creation and that's when the room starts to kind of polarize you know to the left and to the right and and at that point you're we're, you're, we're tapping into all kinds of subconscious and unconscious um, Speculation. negative yeah, speculations and, and emotional reactions negative emotional reactions I thought it was fascinating, by the way, Nick, in that article, the last line of the article, if you go to the jump page, says, uh, there was quoting a MIT physicist, I don't remember his name, saying, when you trace the cosmos back to its very earliest point, what you find is expansion. (laughs) And I think there's somewhat circuitous logic there. You know, you're you're examining expansion, and you say, what we find is expansion, which is, I think, wordplay, if you go beneath the words, between the lines, what he's saying is we're not going to talk about what happened before that moment of zero, you know, zero minus one. We're not going to talk about that because there we don't want to go. That's, that's beyond our, our realm of responsibility or it's, it's certainly outside our comfort zone.
1: So... Uh, yeah. Since we are probing into that, maybe we can add a little bit to that also. The, since you asked was the Vedic concept. I mean, I just gave you the ultimate Vedic concept. But the Vedas are not just, you know, uh, in a, just allowing us or uh, forcing us to accept everything that they are presenting. Vedas are actually probing us, like provoking us to probe into things. Find out for yourself, right? And that is, you know, and that gives rise to various branches of philosophy. And one such branch of philosophy is called Shankar. Literally the word means analytical study. The analytical study, Right. right? Analyze the material nature. And the way the Vedas are doing it is that first thing they're considering, there are five elements. Uh, five elements are earth, which means solid substance, water means liquid, fire, air, and ether. And then they considered that we have five senses. And the interaction between the sense, objects of the, uh, interaction between the elements and the senses give rise to five objects of the senses. Like, for example, the eyes interact with fire. The form is produced. Hmm. Skin interacts uh, interacts with air. Touch is produced. Ears interact with ether. Sound is produced. Tongue interacts with water. Taste is produced. Nose interacts with earth. Smell is produced. So this is how uh, five elements, five senses giving rise to five objects of the senses. Then they consider that there are five working senses in our body with which we get involved in this world. They are hands, legs, anus, belly and genitals. They are called the five working senses. Then now five fours are twenty. Then they considered that there are three subtle elements. Those three subtle elements are mind, intelligence, and falsible. In Sanskrit they're called man, buddhi, and ahankara. Then they considered, then they comes to the, the the sum total of the elements with which everything has evolved. That is called Mahattattva, from which everything evolved, the mind evolved, intelligence evolved, everything actually evolved uh, through this, so from this Mahatattva. Now see, the entire creation now has been analyzed to these- uh, 24 considerations. They didn't stop there then they considered that this is objective in nature. Hmm? All these 24 considerations are objective. But the object doesn't, object cannot exist without the subject, right? So who is the subject? I. I am, therefore it is. I am, therefore they are. Now see, this is how they're transcending the material and coming to the spiritual. Like the entire material creation have been analyzed through these 24 considerations. But I couldn't be found there. Therefore I is non-material. Therefore they're transcending matter into co- and coming to the, uh, the platform of spirit or spiritual or non-material in whichever way you want to describe it. Something that is non-material, that is uh, different from matter, beyond matter. They so 25th consideration is I, and I am spiritual. I am not a product of this matter. And then they considered, they didn't stop at that also. Then they considered that eyes are minute and many. You have your eye, she has her eyes, he has his eyes and so forth. All of us have our eyes. But those eyes are minute and many. So anything that is minute and many must have a source, an origin. So that, that origin is the supreme soul. We are spirit souls and he is the supreme soul. So that supreme soul is God. So see, they are establishing the existence of God, but they are not saying that, well, because we are saying it, you have to accept it. No. Just find out. Use your intelligence. Uh, Probe into it. But this is how you'll come to the conclusion. So this this is the Vedas. And one thing we can very proudly say, that that is how our spiritual master taught us. Prabhupada did not want us, didn't want us to accept anything because he is saying. He said, use your intelligence and if you have any questions, ask questions. If you have any doubts, clarify the doubts. Okay, I just wanted to... Beautiful, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. We have time for another couple of questions. (laughs) Michael is... (laughs) Michael, waiting, (laughs) straining at the least.
0: Right, well, my question comes from my class that we didn't really elaborate on, and is can you elaborate a little bit more on the yoga ladder from animal to kanda, and through kanda applying jnana yoga to go to sakama yoga and from sakama yoga to nishkama karma and then from nishkama karma to bhakti? We like glanced over it in like two seconds in the lecture and I just wanted a little bit more understanding it.
1: Very good, very good point. Yeah. Again, you see, like this is another way of gradually, you know, coming from, transcending from one level to another. So now (laughs) I will go into another branch of philosophy. You see, Vedas are dealing with six branches of philosophy. They are known as Purva Mimamsa, Uh, or karma mimamsa, which means the preliminary conclusion or the concept of karmic reaction reaction principle. Then it goes to naya or logic. Then it goes to vaisheshika or the structure of the universe or atomic theory. And vaisheshika leads to shankha, which I just discussed, shankha leads to yoga. And yoga leads to uh, Uttar Mimamsa, or ultimate conclusion. Hmm. So, these are the six branches of the philosophy. Now, I'll just try to, as you said, like briefly try to explain these different, you know, grades of, of uh, elevation. See, <clears throat> initially, everybody wants to enjoy. Now the Vedas are giving you the directions. Okay, fine. You want to enjoy. Now, this is the way to enjoy. Hmm. And the simple consideration is, your good actions will lead to enjoyment and wrong actions will lead to suffering. Hmm. So that is the simple karmic principle. Good action leads to enjoyment. Bad action leads to suffering. So, then the consideration is, like in spite of enjoying, the Vedas are giving you the direction, anything that you desire, you can fulfill that desire. Hmm? You want to become a rich man, yes, do this, perform these activities, you'll become rich. You want to become a king, you can become a king by performing these activities. You want to become the king of the entire earth planet, fine perform these activities or yagyas, you can, and goes on. But the point is, ultimately one realizes that no matter how much I am trying to enjoy, no matter how much I am achieving, I am still not satisfied, right? So then, that actually leads to the next branch, why I am suffering. And the ultimate conclusion of that quest is, this world is meant for suffering. This world is full of misery. And this body is a wonderful instrument for receiving pain. (laughs) (laughs) Just consider, take any part of your body. Take any part of your body, say, your little finger. Consider how many different ways you can inflict pain on this little finger. (laughs) Millions of ways. Now you consider how many ways you can give pleasure to this little finger. Even if there is a proposal that this is how you can enjoy or give pleasure to this little finger, now you just just compare it. Okay, fine, we'll give this pleasure. But say, somebody says, well, when I tickle my fingers I get pleasure. Okay, tickle your fingers and at the same time, I'll cut your finger with a knife. Will anybody accept that proposal? So now mind you, this principle applies to every single part of the body. Take your ear lobes, take your hand, take your legs, take your foot. So the conclusion follows, find that. There are hundreds of ways, thousands of ways that you can inflict pain on that part, but hardly you can Mm -hmm. give pleasure. So what it concludes then, this, that's why I say, "This body is a wonderful instrument for receiving pain." Mm-hmm. Then the question comes, you know, why am I suffering? What is this world, actually, where I am in? And ultimately it leads to the atomic theory, what we are perceiving, whether solid, liquid or whatever, is nothing but combination of atoms isn't it? Like, look at the wall. What is this wall? To us, to our senses, it's appearing to be solid. But you'll find, you know, huge intermolecular space between these, you know, the between the molecules. is giving rise to uh, that concept that it's solid and so forth. So ultimately this world is made of uh, atoms. But is giving rise. In different frequency and different wavelength, you know, two different senses, it's it's appearing to be in different ways. And then that leads to the analytical, let's find out what this world is, and that's the analytical study of Sankhar which I just mentioned. Now through Sankhar they're coming into two considerations, Jivatma and Paramatma, right? minute soul and the supreme soul. Supreme soul, soul is the source of all the minute souls. All the minute souls are the part and parcels of the supreme soul. Now, <clears throat> the part's existence, the, the utility of the part's existence, the meaning of a part's existence lies in its connection with the whole. This little finger is a part of my body. As a part of my body, this little finger is very, very valuable, very precious. But when the finger is cut off, separated from my body, it doesn't have any value, immediately throw it away. So the, the utility or the purpose of our existence actually lies in our connection with the Supreme Soul or the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now that, then the question arises, Then how, now that I have become separated from Him, how can I become connected to Him, right? And that is giving rise to the next branch of philosophy called Yoga. Uh, The Yoga is actually, literally it means to become united, to become connected to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Uh, And there are eight different processes, eight different steps, Ashtanga Yoga. And the final point of that Ashtanga Yoga is Samadhi. Samadhi is the link, uh, when the yoga, the link has been established with the supreme personality of Godhead. Then the hmm, jiva's uh, existence becomes meaningful. That he is Satchid Ananda. Uh, spiritually that the jiva, the spirit soul is Satchid Ananda, he goes back into that state. And that is the state of bliss. Hmm. Now the consideration is, after seeing the supreme soul hmm, in Samadhi, How does, what is the natural feeling of that spirit soul? When a small person comes across a very great personality, what is his his natural feeling? What becomes his natural attitude? He automatically, his head bends down in awe and reverence and he surrenders himself to him. So now yoga leads to that process of, or to the point of surrender. And that surrender is the beginning of devotion. Sharanagati, uh, or surrender, leads to the ultimate conclusion of the Vedas, which is called Uttar Mimamsa, or final conclusion. The final conclusion is presented in Vedanta which is elaborated in Srimad Bhagavatam, where the Lord's identity has been most profoundly established and the Jiva's link or with him through the process of surrender is established. So this is how, you know, as you said, like different branches of yogas ultimately leading to bhakti. So this is how it's leading to that point of bhakti, which is the ultimate.
0: Yeah, beautiful, beautiful uh, Thank explanation. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Um, well, I have time for maybe just one or two more questions. I saw your hand first. No? Right. Uh. um Before you went to Hare Krishna, when you have a goal in your life, from what you come up with the first 15,
2: 20, 30 years, and like something isn't there, it's like it's missing, you don't feel happy, you don't feel anything, it's like you got the suffering in the world that you're talking about.
0: Will you feel about the yoga and chanting Hare Krishna? Will that heal with your with your intention of conquering through that?
1: Yes, yes. If the process is properly applied, the result will be there. Like chanting of Hare Krishna Mahamantra, what it does actually, the first thing that the chanting of the Hare Krishna Mantra does is cleanses our hearts. You see, all our See, our involvement or our entanglement in the material nature is due to the contamination in our hearts, right? So those contaminations are defined in the form of lust, greed, anger, illusion, envy, and pride. So these are the impurities in the hearts, which is actually stemming from our misidentification, wrong identification, which is called false ego. Now, the chanting of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, first thing that it will do is we'll purify or cleanse our hearts, right? And then from that point, you know, gradually different stages of development will take place. Like for example, when the heart is cleansed, then we'll become free from suffering condition. Our life will naturally become blissful. our our life will naturally become joyful. And so that is what the, you see, it is, say for example, the Hare Krishna Mahamantra is actually the medicine for the soul. Just as by taking the proper medicine, the physical disease is cured. The soul's disease is cured by chanting of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. And when it is applied properly, now there are certain impurities in chanting of the Hare Krishna mantra. Uh, there, there are ten different types of offenses. So when one chants the Hare Krishna mantra, he should be careful not to commit those offenses. When this mantra is chanted offenselessly, then the result will automatically be there, which will begin from the point of cleansing of the body.
0: What would, what would be an example of that improperly app- applying improperly chanting the maha mantra
1: yeah so one of the biggest imp- problem is chanting the maha mantra but not accepting the supreme personality of Godhead as the supreme personality of godhead
0: so chanting the mantra but rejecting Krishna
1: rejecting Krishna yeah that is the the primary you know, impurities then the other types of impurities are like those who are distributing this Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, finding faults in their activities. Is the, is another very gross. Like say for example, the doctor is giving the medicine, huh, but you don't have enough faith on the doctor. Right? And and then uh, the second consideration is, you know, like Re- not recognizing the Supreme Personality of Godhead as the Supreme Personality of Godhead, which of course I mentioned at the first point. And this this is how there are different types of offenses to the Holy Name. And one should guard himself against those offenses. Then the Hare Krishna Muhammad will produce the result.
0: Yeah, we, we, we've had this discussion also here often that there seems to be a, a, a Kirtan culture that Veers over into entertainment, mm. and I'm wondering whether that would be an example of what you're talking about. If if the chanting becomes not an act of surrender of the self, of prayer, of, but of um, uh, you know a substitute for a, a dance tune or something, is that a, an improper a- application?
1: Uh, we can look at it in both ways, because the chanting the Mahamantra, you know, it will have its benefit. But at the same time, to develop, to, to, de- to derive the, the desired benefit, one should have the proper understanding. Right, so that this is, full. to derive the full, yes. yeah, that's why it's the de- desired yeah. <laughs> benefit, yeah. is, is to recognize this Hare Krishna Maha Mantra is actually a prayer to the Supreme Personality of God. It is a prayer. Appeal to Him, my Lord, you are all attractive. So please, allow me to become engaged in your service. Allow me to become attracted to you and express that attraction through my love for you. And let me le- express that love for you through the truth service for you. So please, allow me to, in this way, become free from our material bondage and go back to your and suite. Thank you.
0: We have time, perhaps, for one more question
1: and then we'll start the... Uh, the Sudhakar, you had a question? I have to ask you <laughs> huh? I'll ask later. Okay. Okay. If anybody has any questions, yes. In the practice of uh, devotion, when is it that you see that uh, a devotee is ready to be initiated? What What do you see in the devotee
2: when he comes to you? Yeah. <clears throat> or... You
1: see, the Vedic scriptures give a very clear in- direction towards that it says that the teacher or guru should see the student or disciple for one year, test him for one year. Similarly, the student also should check out the teacher for one year. And then when both are convinced, right, and both are actually uh, sort of uh, eager, then that initiation can take place. Okay, you see, now ISKCON, in ISKCON, you know, our movement has grown so so vast all over the world.
0: ISKCON, by the way, for those of you who may not be familiar with that acronym, is the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, which is the formal institution that our teacher, Prabhupada, uh, founded back in 1966. In one little storefront on Second Avenue, and since then it's become this worldwide uh, yeah,
1: society <laughs> Yeah okay so <laughs> uh, so here the consideration is that one should practice the process sincerely um, to, to show his earnestness. So to prove his intention. And first consideration is to chant the mantra, Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, a certain number of rounds in a bead, which takes about two hours' time, that one must dedica- dedicate himself to. And then one must abstain from wrong actions. That is detrimental to spiritual progress. One is eating meat, the other is taking intoxicants, the other one is indulging in inappropriate activities like illicit sex. Mm. Sex for procreation between husband and wife is, uh, is the actual purpose of sex, but sexual relationship outside of marriage uh, is uh, forbidden and gambling or involving in activities that are based on falsity or cheating or lying. So these are the four principles that one has to follow according to the Vedic understanding. And there are, you know, profound reasons behind that also. I'm not taking, you know, like I'm just giving you a brief answer to that. Like why should one do that? There is a scientific reasons behind that. So these are the, you know, two basic prerequisites for getting initiated in, in our institution. And a serious, sincere soul is expected to come up to that standard. <laughs> Thank you.
0: If someone wanted to uh, <coughs> receive more of your teachings, uh, or do you have books or a website? Or is there some way that people could contact you if they oh, wanted yes, to sure. do so?
1: Sure. my. Uh, email address and there is a website also yeah. and what is that website uh, website is bhakti.charu.swami www bhakti.charu.swami
0: b h uh, a
1: yeah, k t i . c h a r u charu s w a m i yeah so that's the website and uh, b B-H h okay.
0: Bhakti.charu, C H A R U, dot swami. Yeah?
1: At, yeah, uh, no. And my email address is the same, bhakti.charu.swami at gmail.com.
0: Now you have his private email. <laughs> Do not abuse that. I beg you. Please don't send it. What about the people on the podcast then? Yes, of course. We are going to be making our discussion here today available as a podcast. Okay. <laughs> Um, we, we uh, end our, uh, or, or begin sometimes, our Tuesday gatherings with an artsy ceremony, and uh, are you going to be doing artsy? In? in you're, you're up here, huh? Oh Terrific, is... wonderful. Uh, and you're welcome to stand and join us a little closer to the altar. I see Michael is um, ready with the basket to receive your donations. Please remember to donate. And um, after the artique, which is just a few minutes long, there's um, we have uh, some prasadam to share with people, Michael. I didn't make uh, Julie and Ian made prasadam. Oh, thank you very much. So uh, that's like a fruit salad? So I hope you'll uh, stay for a few minutes. (laughs) And um, have a a handful or two of uh, of our fruit salad prasadam and, and meet some of the people here uh, this evening who have come to uh, greet Bhakti Truswami. Swami. So thank, thank you. you again. Would you join me in thanking Bhakti Truswami?
1: And I must thank you all also for giving me this opportunity, especially Jogesha Prabhu, who is my very dear godbrother thank you, and friend. <laughs> So, for giving me this opportunity. And I hope you'll
0: come back again very soon. Sure, sure. Thank you.